Thank you for joining us with Get in the Know with your CMO. I'm Saj Joy, Central Division Chief Medical Officer. We are privileged to have so many experts in our Central Division of Atrium Health. Today, you get an opportunity to hear from one of our leaders in the intensive care unit, Dr. Mike Green. He's been helping coordinate the work related to our pandemic and the needs that are going to be required for us to take care of a surge of patients, but we're ready. Dr. Mike Green, thank you very much for meeting with uh, me to talk about uh, the COVID virus uh, uh, pandemic. And uh, first, let the audience know a little bit about who you are and how long you've been with Atrium. So I'm uh, Mike Green. I've been here about uh, 12 years now, I think. Okay. And I am the specialty medical director for critical care. So I'm in charge of critical care for all of the, the metro and, and surrounding counties. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. And I, I guess we have a pretty dramatic need for uh, your team's help in this particular pandemic because the sickest of the sick will end up in our ICUs. Right, yeah. Right now, a lot of it's more planning than yeah. uh, actually taking care of patients, although there are some ICU patients um, that have tested positive. But the majority of our work right now is planning so we're prepared in case things do get worse. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever experienced anything like this? Not really. I'll tell you, in my career yeah. in 12 years, uh, not yeah. really. I think the closest thing was our experience with the H1N1 mm -hmm. uh, influenza in 2009. I think that was really the only time we, we got to a point where we thought, wow, we're going to expand beyond the ICU walls potentially, and how are we going to take care of this surge in patients? But even with that, I don't think it was to, to near the levels that we're talking about now. Absolutely. And I guess we're also seeing the experiences in in Washington State and New York that kind of tell us this, this is not uh, just a passing whimsy. We might have to truly be prepared for it, so we're taking it incredibly seriously. Right. Yeah. I think the real question now is, you know, how bad will it be here, right? right? And so if you look at the places where it's the worst, we have to prepare for it to be that bad. Right. Uh, when we do that, of course, so if it doesn't get that bad, it'll look like we overreacted. And if it does get that bad and we didn't prepare, it would look like we were not prepared and we didn't right. do our jobs. Yeah, so, so can you give us some examples of what, we, what you've been helping lead and what our organization and in particular a critical care team has been doing in preparation for this uh, anticipated surge? Yeah, so there's a lot of, lot of planning that goes into this, obviously, and, and to be honest with you, until you really get into the, the meat of the work here, it's, it's hard to believe all the details. You, know, yeah. you don't really think about the details, but the majority of it has been around how do, we, how do we take care of patients when there's a lot more patients than we're used to taking care of, mm -hmm. and also complicated by the fact that we're dealing with an infectious disease, so you have to also figure out how do you protect your teammates in that mm -hmm. time. So. A lot of the planning we've been doing is around um, how do we expand to accommodate more patients than we traditionally have taken care of, and that's uh, kind of two parts to that. One is the facility side of things, where do we put them, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and how do we decide where to put them, which Got is it. an important component of it. Uh, the second thing is how do we make sure we have enough people to take care of these, these patients. Right. And um, so a lot of our planning right now has been to work with not only each facility to say, where, where are we going to expand to if we have to expand beyond our normal ICU walls, but then also what, what provider is going to go and take care of those patients, whether it be a physician or an APP or someone else um, right. that's going to help us. So um, that's been the initial part of work. And then obviously the, the other big body of work is the equipment, right? Yeah, so, yeah. we've been hearing a lot about that as well. 
Right. When you when you have a lot more patients, you need more equipment. And, mm -hmm. and the, the biggest um, thing, and you hear about it from New York, is ventilators, right? right. Um, well, so. I'm hearing about that now from uh, New Orleans as well, because mm -hmm. their surge is uh, elevating at a faster rate than anywhere else in the world. Right. So we yeah. work very closely with uh, Myra Stearns and yeah. her team and uh, Restore Therapy uh -huh. to, to really not only figure out what equipment we have, but be mm -hmm. able to monitor that real time. So we have a real time database now of oh, where good. every piece of equipment is, how much we have at each facility. And that way we can you know, not only know what we have and what we need, but also figure out if one place needs it, we'd be able to move it there quickly and know we can, what they need. So reallocate as needed because we could have a system response to it based on the location. Right. So now I'm going to take you back one step. You also said first part is in our physical space, you know, we need to make sure we have places to put these patients that might require ventilator assistance or ICU level care. Um, can you give us a rough estimate of how many spaces we have that are ICU level uh, at, at CMC or Central Division, and then kind of what are we anticipating and preparing up to? Sure, I think um, giving giving exact numbers is tough, yeah, uh, but um, some estimates. I mean, I think what we're preparing for is you know really a forty percent surge uh, above what the normal IC levels would be. Uh, in uh, this hospital at CMC or in the Central Division, um, that would be around you know 50 ICU beds that we'd have to create that are kind of mm -hmm. non-traditional. Mm -hmm. uh, once you start looking for those beds, it's amazing how many places you can find that can actually <laughs> take care of an ICU patient. It's it's a lot more than you think, and then somebody will come along and mention another place, and you're like, well, that's a good place too. So, right. So I think that first 50 beds, uh, we can accommodate pretty well using non-traditional places, but sometimes we've already used these in other, other times of surge where right. like, PACUs and um, other units like that, pre-op mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and in areas. But then there's other places you can go to as well, like endoscopy units. They have right. pre-op holding and post-procedural uh, holding that have the right equipment to do that. Um, and then you can get really creative and start looking at other units like one-day surgery and ORs and things sure. like that. So we can easily, I think, accommodate throughout the entire metro at every hospital a 40% surge. That's if we need to do more than that, there's, there's actually a lot of places you can put ICU patients. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the beauty of this, the, you know, the fact that you all have been, we are collectively, but led by your group, have been so proactive in uh, identifying and uh, I specifically noting what the barriers are so we can work to remove those barriers uh, on the front end only gets us prepared. And I would much rather be caught uh, at the end that says, oh, well, we were prepared for it, but we didn't really need all of them than the reverse of we didn't prepare to what we were expecting and now we're in a real dire situation. Um, so kudos to you on that. Um, you had also mentioned respiratory uh, services and needing ventilators. What kind of creative things are we doing with that? Well, a couple of things. One, we have worked with our rental companies to try and get more equipment. Unfortunately, uh -huh. um, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> our, our idea that, that nobody else thought of. So, right. so that's a little bit more difficult. Uh, we've actually gone out and purchased um, new ventilators as well, okay. and those will be coming in. I think they're kind of manufactured to order, so we should be getting some of those over time. And then you have to start to look at other ways to, to ventilate people besides our, our typical ventilators. So we actually have a stockpile of home ventilators that we can hmm. use. Okay. We have other devices that we traditionally use sometimes for uh, patients at home. So like Trilogy ventilators and things like that that patients would use at home. Uh, we can use those actually to provide full ventilator support. Good. And then there are some other uh, creative devices that people have come up with that uh, actually are used for mass uh, casualty incidents uh, where 
Um, some of these will just hook to medical gas in the wall and, and you don't even need power. Um, and they wow. will be able to provide some support, not quite as the same as a mechanical ventilator, but, but some support. And, and really, that, that's probably okay because not everybody needs the highest, fanciest ventilator. Only sure. the really sickest patients do. A lot of other ones um, could, could get by with just some increased support. And then if we really want to think out of the box, if we needed to, there are ways to ventilate more than one patient on, on one ventilator, which is another thing we've looked at in mm -hmm. an extreme emergency. Right. So, I mean, you've just laid out so many different pathways you can go down based on the criticality and the need uh, that comes your way. So you're, you're looking at uh, scenario one, have a solution scenario for scenario one. Uh, scenario two, solution for scenario two. That, that's ex excellent. I've also seen uh, the, the component that you discussed about uh, manpower and if we started having decreases in our workforce. Um, I've seen some stuff from nursing that is getting prepared for what the ratios need to be and how we would adjust from uh, different teammates so that we can still try to provide the care. Uh, are you all doing that from a physician and an APP perspective as well? Yeah, there's been a lot of work around staffing. So we've partnered with the acute care surgery and surgical critical care groups, as well as the anesthesia groups. Mm -hmm. And um, as surgeries um, go down because they're not doing as many elective surgeries, um, then we have more capability from their from their group. So sure. uh, we plan to fold them into our workforce as needed. So as we start to open some of these non-traditional units, we would have anesthesia or surgical critical care probably take care of some of those patients. The other big thing for us and, and something that really has shown up in, in, in the kind of response to this is virtual care. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the same outpatient or inpatient. Yeah. Virtual critical care, you can really expand your workforce. So we can, using two-way communication with camera, we can evaluate patients, make changes in ventilators or medications or things like that without actually having to get someone physically in that unit. So we are planning to use, utilize that to do a lot of our work so that we can really expand our workforce. The other beautiful thing about that is People want to work when they're home, if they're quarantined and maybe sure. not feeling sick, and they sure. still can. So, right. they, so even if they can't physically be in the hospital, we can still have them take care of a lot of patients. That's excellent point, excellent point. And we've been doing virtual care here for how long? Especially in the uh, critical care arena. Yeah, about seven or eight years now. Yeah, so we're pretty far advanced in that concept, mm -hmm. so wonderful. Well, a um, couple of last questions. One is, what's the morale and, and how is the team doing up in the ICUs? So I think the, the morale is, is good. I would say that you know we had a stressful week last week, um, just the initial planning and kind of the panic of it hitting our area and, sure. and daycares closing and schools closing and all that stuff, I think was very difficult on people. I think now that people are seeing that there's there's a plan in place and that we've, we've you know got things laid out so that we know what to do if it gets worse, I right. think people are starting to feel better. I don't think anybody feels good, sure. right? Sure. Uh, but I think that people are starting to feel better that at least it's organized and that there's there's a plan. We know what we're going to do at, if, at each step as we get more patients. And I think if we the more we can take out of the unknown, the better. And mm -hmm. the last thing I'd add to that is the more we can be clear about the PPE and how we're protecting our providers and teammates in general. Um, the, the less stress everybody has. And I think we're getting a lot more guidance from um, Dr. Passaretti and her team with infection prevention on how to best do that. That's uh, excellent. And, and you're absolutely right. We, you know, part of doing this is to be as transparent with our teammates uh, so that they know that you all are in the forefront, both from the planning standpoint, but also in the preparedness standpoint, but also contributing to what decisions we need to make as an organization. A final question then, um, what advice would you give to our teammates that are uh, uh, currently living this? Uh, 
I think the big thing is just you know know that there's a you know there's a lot of planning, a lot of people doing a lot of work to make sure there's a plan in place. And the other thing is you know make sure you follow the the personal protection rules. I mean I think that's the biggest thing is, you know this this virus is you know mainly spread by personal contact and touching things and touching your face. So um, the the biggest thing you could do is wash your hands with alcohol hand wash or make sure you wash them for you know more than 20 seconds. So. If you do that, then your chance of infection is much lower no matter how many patients we're seeing. But PPE and taking care of yourself, washing your hands is the most important thing. So we need everybody to be able to work if That's there's true. a lot of patients. That's true. And the social distancing. I mean, you right. and I are still maintaining about five to six feet apart, you know, wherever we can, we need conversations and so forth. Uh, hey, Mike, thank you so much for chatting with us and letting our team know all the work that's being done in the ICUs and from the critical care uh, team standpoint. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Get in the Know with Your CMO. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Please join us again as we interview medical staff members, teammates, and other leaders 